Soon you will see the king. And when will he leave? Tomorrow. May the sun never bring that tomorrow. What are you saying? Do you not understand? I understand. I understand. Well. And if the blow should fail. It will not fail if you do not waver. Hello and welcome to the Scottish Film, a podcast that is not about Scottish films. I'm Salt. And I'm Katie Maiden. And this week we are going way out in order to review Cloud Diana's 1987 film of Verdi's 1847 opera of Shakespeare's 1606 play, Macbeth! Oh my god, okay, so I think the way we can do this is we need to review this as a film, and then as an opera, because we haven't seen the opera before, so we'll start with the film, his hour upon the stage, how is this as like a movie? Like in terms of style, what you see, costumes, that kind of thing. So, okay, let's start with like the costumes on set and yeah. kind of the visuals. So the costumes were absolutely fantastic. Yeah. The um the kind of regal costumes, so the costumes worn by like Macbeth, Lady oh, Macbeth, yeah. etc., were absolutely amazing. They had so many layers. It was like a tunic and then belts and then overcoats and then furs on top of that yeah and it looked like it was really heavy to wear but they yeah. didn't look they didn't look like it was heavy weather walking around no there was a lot of big was furs that, and such yeah like that john snow from game of thrones <laughs> kind of yeah like like it's winterfell because it's so cold yeah. cold and winterfell oh yeah um so i, I love that yep um the set is so basically the castle yeah it's like a dungeon. It so is. So it's underground. It's catacomby. <laughs> yes, it's exactly what it is. It's catacombs without the skulls. Except mm. there are, every now and again, you'll pass like a prisoner. Yeah. <laughs> in their like little prison cell within the the weird dungeon that this is all set in. <laughs> um, so that was, it was quite cool. It was. It was interesting. I was a bit confused about it. Because I was like, why are you in a dungeon? But it was cool. I liked it. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was it was creepy, and and this was a creepy Macbeth. Yes, it was. It was a very spooky yeah. kind of gothic uh, Macbeth in terms of its aesthetic. And the outside bits as well yeah. were creepy. It was like foggy. And... Oh god, yeah. There's like a hellscape yeah. out there. It's like black sand, rocks. It is a blasted heath. It is literally like a vision of hell. It it was almost like a like a dormant volcano kind of yeah vibe. Yeah. So in terms of like costumes and set, absolutely fantastic visuals. Mm. Um, I think see what else. it sometimes feels a little bit small, but then other times like really big and lush. Like sometimes we're reusing the same sort of corridor or, you know, a little bit of set and it's like, it feels like a stage production in that sense. But then other times, like you say, we go outside or we go into a vast cave or a big banquet room and suddenly it just feels like the biggest production. 
and like an actual world you know in addition to a production yeah some of the like extra people in it were mm. really good like um really interesting as well so the guards they all had like covered faces didn't they so they yes. had these like um helmets on that completely covered their face yes. so they were almost like anonymous yeah. which made it a bit better to tell who was actually like important to the story at that time yes yes they did and they had extra people in terms of like lots of villagers yeah we got a little sense of the population of this castle yeah and also they had like in the banquet scene mm. they had like wenches yes it was a full-on it reminded me of um the peter greenaway film the cook the thief his wife and her lover um, <laughs> where all of the costumes were done by Jean-Paul Gaultier and it's just like this chaotic kind of really cluttered very detailed scene with vaguely kinky elements going on and lots of um, sort of weird leather outfits and such and it had that feel to it of just a sort of eccentric kind of orgy that this banquet was you get the impression that had Macbeth not gone crazy stuff would have popped off if you know what I mean yeah <laughs> I do it does have this kind of long night of the soul kind of feel to it. It's very much a, there's not, I mean, for example, and we'll talk about it more later, but when Lady Macbeth is, is um, introduced in a lot of versions, she's introduced in like a glade or she has like animals around her or more commonly, weirdly, they're in Macbeth's bedroom. Yes. That's the most common one, isn't it? Yeah. Here, she is in a dungeon. <laughs> She's in a full-on dungeon. Yeah. Though it seems that they do live in this dungeon. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's a bit, like, odd, but also, like, yeah, the aesthetic that they're going for, it all tied together. Yeah, it did. It, it really did. Also, in, like, the opening scene, the things that we see the most are dead bodies. There are yeah. dead bodies everywhere. So, yes. it's, like, in the overture, they, like, sweep past these piles of dead bodies and a yeah. dead horse yeah and i was like no not a dead horse you know <laughs> me i can see a dead body but i can't see a dead animal yeah and it was a dead horse that had a, a horse's skull is a weird thing yeah, i've seen it before so it's weird. got such a weird skull as a horse and this this particular horse was sort of rotten down because you got the impression these were very old bodies they didn't seem to be from you know a recent battle yeah, which is weird because actually yeah. there has just been a battle yeah there has that's where Macbeth's coming from in most versions so yeah curious um yes so that's kind of how i felt of it as a film was almost like kind of horror yeah a little bit it was definitely the sort of dark creepy sort of aspirational thing there was no sense of it ever being kind of like the mafia movie you know a bit where he gets to be king and he gets to like have the rival families there's always this sense of creeping horror to the whole thing a couple of other things that really caught me like visually things is when Duncan first arrives. Uh, we don't see Duncan at all, but no. he reaches his hand daintily through the sort of carrier box curtain that he's in, and Macbeth sort of takes it, and that's the most we get of Duncan. And then when his body is being led away, the hand we droops see his out. Arm again. Yeah, the hand yes. droops out again, covered in blood and like mirroring that scene, and that was really creepy. It's interesting that we didn't see Duncan because it kind yeah. of makes it gives more emphasis to Macbeth. Yeah. And the act. Yeah, being like the central character. Yeah. And and not taking and basically cutting out Duncan entirely. Yeah. Basically just yeah, like you said, it gives emphasis on the act as opposed to actually any feeling for the person. It's just an yeah. act. It's like it doesn't matter who the person is, just doing this yeah. in general is enough that it's an existential nightmare. 
It could be anyone. Another little thing I liked was the refugee camp, I'm going to call it, where all of the people Macbeth has pissed off uh, gather together. Um, which, again, is one of those big sets, and it starts off by seeing what we thought was going to be Ross kind of sailing over in a boat, these hooded yeah. figures kind of on a barge, sailing over to the shore where they've set up a camp, the sort of English army with um, Malcolm and Macduff. Um, and it, it arrives, and it turns out it's actually got uh, Macduff's family on it, uh, sort of dead bodies. Yeah, his wife and kids, yeah. which was... I, I kind of I saw that, and I was like, that is some creepy shit that's some creepy shit that. it's such a good funeral procession moment that and yeah it's worth saying we'll talk about the music in a sec but there are some lovely long stretches where there's no singing and it's just kind of visual business it's just characters moving around the set doing stuff and the music is still there and it's still extraordinary but there's no nobody singing because once people start singing we tend to sort of lock down make sure we've got them in focus you know stay with them but there is some really good sequences where it feels really like a movie, like a cinematic moment, because it's just the sort of camera and the subjects. Fair is foul and foul is fair. How close are we to Shakespeare? Um, okay, so the basic plot is there. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. Oh, Macbeth, Lady Macbeth, yep. kill Duncan, kill Banquo, kill go mad. Macduff's family, kill. get killed by Macduff. Yes, exactly. Um, <laughs> you see what they did wrong? They fucked with Macduff's <laughs> family. That's where they fucked up. Um... <laughs> That's, up now, sir. that's the one. <laughs> um, yeah, so the base plot's there. And then we do have some language. Every now and again, yes. we get a line that is sung. It, yeah. It's odd. So, and and it is weird. It's mixed up. It's mixed yeah. up with some Shakespeare language and some language. So this is where I found it silly when they were singing lines from Shakespeare. Okay. I was actually giggling for some of it because I couldn't... Interesting. Because I've seen this film... Film? Play, yeah. film play, so many times now <laughs> yeah. that I can't like, I can't reconcile the fact that the lines <laughs> are like songs. It's almost like me going, hey, Paul, are we doing the podcast today? I mean, I would love that. <laughs> like they're singing. <laughs> it's like they're, they're like la 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 and they're jumping into like musical numbers. Yeah. Um, whereas when they actually sung like lines that aren't in Shakespeare, I found them unbelievable when I wasn't laughing. Yeah. So yeah, I found it a bit silly when they were using the Shakespeare language. Okay. But, I guess it's fine because that's what you know how he intended. It. He intended it like this. I think he, he intended definitely it to be an opera. intended it like this. He superintended <laughs> it. So yeah, well, essentially here we are reviewing the opera rather than the film, and it's a condensed version of the story. The whole story's here, but it's condensed, and that goes to the lines as well. I mean, there is one scene of Macbeth uh, convince of Lady Macbeth convincing Macbeth to do it, and it's like in total ten lines. Like between mm. them, and you'll have heard it at the beginning because that's the bit we sung. But like, yeah, it's cra- that's kind of crazy. But it's it's interesting. It, it's very efficient storytelling, and I guess yes. it has to be so that you can have more time for like the songs. Yes, yeah, exactly. Because this was quite a long one, wasn't it? Oh yeah, it was two hours, and yet the stuff that we don't have. I mean, it's a pretty good edit. You've lost yeah. scene four, act two, for the most part. Um, you mean uh, act, four, act four, scene two? Scene two. That's exactly what our, I mean. our fa- at least favorite. <laughs> Scene. For the first half of it, anyway. Or yeah, two yeah, thirds. first half of that. Yeah. Um, and you, you lost, yeah, lost a lot. I mean, you cut out all of Duncan. Yeah, all of Duncan's gone. So we ha- we miss our opening scene where sort of Duncan, you know, happens upon the bloody sergeant. Um, and it, it's you very much. Bloody man is that? Yeah. It's actually kind of like Bellatar. You know, we're we're almost exclusively just seeing stuff that's relating to Macbeth or Lady Macbeth. And yes, and we get an yeah. extra Lady Macbeth scene. We do, which was so great. 
Yeah, so Love we'll that. talk about that. We but will, like, but that was good. Yeah, the, you're right. The edit was was good in terms of the fact that you needed more time for like the big numbers. Yeah, because he wanted to spend time on the banquet scene. He wanted to spend time on like the post murder, and he wanted to you know spend a lot of time with the second apparition scene. Almost in the same way that Les Miserables is, mm. you know, I mean, it's edited. Oh yeah, from Victor Hugo's novel. But yeah, but yeah. it's um, it's still they still take a lot of time over what they have yeah i mean what you see here is fewer characters doing more and i think this is best exemplified by the fact that banquo is the one who sort of shows up with Macduff in order to wake the king in the morning because who the fuck is lennox you know i mean yeah we've talked before sometimes having lots of characters is a good thing it makes the world feels bigger and more lived in but in terms of like an opera where you have less time because more time is taken up with like every scene like a moment with dialogue where 10 lines would have been exchanged would take, you know, 30 seconds if you were just doing it as a speaking role, but with singing, you know, then take several minutes. Yeah, because you don't have, you know, like in, I'm going back to Les Miserables, but you know yeah. in Les Miserables, they have a lot of singing that's like talking. Yeah. But, um, you know, have you seen how the four minutes view in today? You know, it's like... Sung through. That's what they call it. Yeah, yeah. so it's it's all singing, yeah. but it's almost like talking. And in this, they don't really have that. It's like all opera. Oh yeah, all opera. Yeah. So it's it's like it's even more time than if you were doing like a a speaking opera. Or something. You just maybe imagine like if they were cutting into song like in a musical, like that would be <laughs> so crazy and like tra- La Traviata. It's just like anyway. Yes, I suppose I will go to the party and see him. Iano, 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 Iano. I don't know Italian. <laughs> that would be so good. <laughs> There's a couple of interesting little background details, like Macduff storming off after the banquet is quite cool. Yes, the, I love that. Yeah. I, I was like, who is that? And you're like, it's Macduff. <laughs> Gotta be. So, yeah, because he's, he's almost realised yeah. that something crazy is going And also he's realised maybe that Banquo is gone. Yeah, that's so, becoming clear. <laughs> that was a good little... And we also had um, Fleance. Yeah. Come back Flianzio. at the end. Flianzio. Flianzio. And he came back at the end. He did. Which is... Yep. It, 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 something's happened a couple of times, and I really think it was a good addition, because it, yeah. it again, it feeds back to that idea that Fleance will one day be king. Yeah. So, yeah. And also, Malcolm, where was he for that, like, entire <laughs> I, opera? Well, he is kind of his singing buddy, Macduff's singing buddy throughout the whole thing, because in that penultimate scene, when he's like oh, my family's all dead. Malcolm is the one who's like, well, you'll get revenge and that'll make you feel better. And, you know, he's... <laughs> <laughs> you'll, you'll feel it's better. Let's Malcolm. get you a bit of revenge. And then when they get to the actual castle, he has a few speaking lines and then we are just left to assume he just goes off. But the reason he surprised me is that it wasn't until he shows up right at the end that I noticed he was wearing, like, golden armour. And it's like, who are you? <laughs> who are you? Oh, wait, you're king. It's like Macduff does all the work. Yeah. And then Malcolm becomes king. Yeah. Okay, let's get into some of our regular spe- features, some of which are going to be very brief. Yeah. Um, extra ghosts. Yes. Yes. All of them. Yes. All of them. We have we have Banquo's ghost and we have the apparitions. Yeah. And Banquo's ghost is kind of a cheeky fella. <laughs> like he yeah, keeps... he was kind of like just Banquo sitting there <laughs> and with some blood like down and being like, hey, you killed me. You fucked up. <laughs> what the hell, dude? But he was like, yeah, a sort of humorous kind of, um, I know what you did, kind of ghost. Which, you know, makes it very bad for for Macbeth. And then, yes, our three ghosts. First one, a suit of armour that just kind of leans up. Oh, Macbeth! 
is very much like the Castle of Otranto, the sort of Walpole novel that was obviously the start of gothic horror in many ways. Yeah. But yeah, and then we get, okay, apparently a young boy. I yeah. thought it was a young girl because there were some little boobs. But you're, but you're convinced that those I are just sort pre- of I'm pretty sure it nipples. was a boy, yeah. Okay, boy. a nipply boy. I was right, it was a girl. And then we get an even younger boy who comes up yeah, and gives the Burnham like a... Wood uh, thing, which is last. Yeah, yeah. They're, spook- they're kind of spooky. They're sort of well, pale, wan figures and amidst this sort of black landscape. That's, yes. Um, yeah. So that was quite creepy. Ross's poker face? No Ross. Or face. No Ross. No, no face. No Ross. <laughs> porter speech? No porter. Or speech. No porter. Or speech. I was really hoping that it would be like this jolly porter song that yeah. was like... Like kind of, you know what I mean? Like I was saying like Master of the House from The Miserable style like master of the house you know he, he, that would have been awesome yeah you know? but okay uh, no porter birdie was not much for comic relief um because <laughs> victor hugo was he wrote a song called the miserable like <laughs> but he loves it he's like dickens it's all very funny um yeah okay so regarding just a couple of the lyrics that stood out yeah there's a bit where Macbeth is like thinking about his um his lot, you know, the fact that he's now been given the fame of... He's been given Cordo. And he's off w- wondering, oh god, what do I do now? Maybe I should kill the king. And Banquo, <laughs> looking on, says something like, look how proud he is. <laughs> and he's just there like, uh, uh. <laughs> like just really fretting and pulling I on his hair. I have to say, that, that, pati- that particular duet between yeah. Banquo and um, Macbeth was absolutely fantastic. It was. <laughs> Yeah, we, what, it we was should... the Jean Valjean Javert, <laughs> like "Who Am I" style. <laughs> yeah, both kind of monologue. Like, their voices are amazing. Yeah, we should review the music. It was really, uh, I mean, it was one that was. It had one melody that really stuck out to me. But the overall yeah. sort of singing was just amazing. Like, really good voices. Uh-huh. Really great sound. I've definitely heard that one melody before. Maybe in, like, a University Challenge question or something. <laughs> yeah, it may have been used because... Yeah, Verdi does. It, I mean, that's the same with La Traviata, really. There's that one big famous, you know, melody piece from the sort of um, uh, drinking song, um, and most of it is just sort of a very emotionally focused kind of singing, which really works well here. It really conveys yeah. a lot of the sort of emotion of Macbeth through the singing. Just a couple of other lyrics that stood out to me. Oh yes, I've heard this so many times, and I finally got the meaning. Always, when Macduff is told his family is dead, he screams, "He has no children." And every single time I have taken that to mean, oh, so what's the, he's like killing people, but like, what's the point? He doesn't even have kids. So what's he doing? Why is he off, you know, trying to procure his line when he doesn't have any kids? But this time I got it. It immediately follows the line where it's like, you shall have bloody vengeance. 
And in this version, what what Macduff says is, I can't have vengeance because Macbeth doesn't have children, i.e. I can't hurt him the way he has hurt me. Yes, I never got that before. Because the line is, he has no children, not, you know, as spelled out as this, which is, you know, there is no vengeance to be had because he can't be hurt the same way I have. Yeah. So that was interesting. I mean, he could have killed David Beth, I suppose, but... <laughs> She's well, on we'll top of that already. To that. <laughs> mm, yeah. Okay, up the consequences. Did they show the murder? Nope. No. It was pretty short as well. I was like, it is done. <laughs> yep, just the one dagger. Often there's two, because there's two guards. But just the one dagger, which uh, Macbeth refuses to let go of. Macbeth... Macduff... Ugh. Lady Macbeth has to, like, bite his hand to try and get the dagger off of him. Yes. Yeah, it's curious. He's just it adds to the whole traumatized thing, and also Lady Macbeth's desperate kind of attempt to do this right. <laughs> she like kicks it on the floor. Yeah. Like once it's like dropped out of his hand, she then kicks it across the floor. So it shows like almost like how she has already disassociated herself. With, yeah. Like the dagger. A little water clears us of this deed. Yeah, exactly. Okay, what bloody man is that? Let's talk about Macbeth, and we have Leo Nucci. Well, I thought, first of all, as an opera singer, yeah. <laughs> I mean, his voice was fantastic, wasn't it? It was. He had an extraordinary voice. Just really deep and great presence. Um, yeah, so in terms of his like general performances, Macbeth. Yeah. It was a Macbeth that was very like insular, maybe yeah. is the word. He's very like thinky. Yes. He's a thinky Macbeth. He's <laughs> he's that sort of one who's I don't know what his drive was in this. Was it yeah. is it ambition or is it just He's on a path, and he kind of rolls with it. Yeah, I mean, we didn't get much of a sense of him enjoying being king, which is something that we no. only see in some versions, or at the very least making use of it by being the sort of shouty order man in the final act. Yeah, he doesn't really enjoy anything, it seems, in this. <laughs> He's, He's quite very sad, stoic. stoic yeah. yeah. He's a stoic, sad Macbeth. Yeah. Um, his his look is very, like, like war man. Yes, yeah, so he's got like the bun. <laughs> I would describe his look as Jon Snow after he's brought back from the dead, when he's <laughs> when he spends a season with like slicked back, slightly wet looking hair. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, and he's yeah, he's got like kind of bags under his eyes and a bun. Well, a bun. A he's looking very like <laughs> sad and morose most of the time. He is, yeah. He's a he's a very moody kind of Macbeth. Yeah, which fits the uh, the atmosphere well, the sort of gothic, dark atmosphere. It works yes, quite well. it does, yeah. Okay, Serpent Under It. Wait, that Lady Macbeth, and we have got Shirley Verrett? Verrett, perhaps? I'm such a philosopher. I think probably Verrett, yeah. Verrett. Verrett probably isn't it. Um, and she was great. She was great. The sort of Lady Macbeth that is, um, yeah, like the serpent under it, very controlling. Oh, yeah. Very... Not like, subtly oh, manipulative, more just sort no. of, go do this. 
just full on you are doing this i have decided that you are doing this go in terms of the commonly sort of seductive aspect of her there's a lot of phallic sword stroking that goes on yes i noticed that too um but there's no no physical contact of any kind there's no kissing there's no snuggling there's a long lean into a kiss <laughs> mm. so that it's almost like that they're in this kind of business arrangement like yeah. marriage it, yeah it's it's a good way to become queen i guess is to stick around with john snow because you'll probably end up killing a killing the monarch at some point yeah i mean <laughs> yeah <laughs> i mean um it's weird because we've seen a lot of Lady Macbeths that, are, that use their sexuality. Yeah. And she is hot. She's a hot Lady Macbeth. Oh, yeah. But she is not using her sexuality in that way. She's using her power. Yeah, She's using her, strength. Like, yeah, strength. And yeah, I like that. That was the first one we've seen where there hasn't actually been a single kiss, I don't think. Yeah. But I think consequently, I was very worried about her going crazy because... You know, she has been such a strong figure, and it actually looks like it might not go that way because she's strong way later than in yes. the, most versions of the play. Yeah, because we get an extra scene. We do. Um, and then she goes crazy. And yeah. I was like, no, like, it doesn't make <laughs> sense, especially yeah. with this Lady Macbeth. Well, it okay. So what our extra stuff is, first of all, we see her actually actively involved in the murder of Banquo. Like, well, not yes. actively involved, but in the planning of Banquo. She's like, you've yeah. got to go kill him, which is, you know, usually the first sort of separating point for um, Lady Macbeth is she, um, he's to- she's told, oh, you best not be involved in this. But no, he's she's like, you better kill him and his kid. And then, yeah. and then later on in our extra scene, the prime, it's building up to Macduff's treachery. And she's the one who sort of, you know, really powers through this and says, you've got to kill the Macduff family. And also, you've got to kill Banquo's kid. I don't know if I mentioned it earlier, but you've got to get on top of that, sir. And yeah. so, and that's the last time we see her. Now, maybe the key to her going crazy is the fact that it's sleepwalking. If you can have a sort of dual identity, she's all tough bravado during the day, but then when she goes to sleep, the guilt kind of takes over. And she yeah. come. Then maybe that's a, a key to sort of rectifying yeah. how quickly Lady Macbeth goes insane. Yeah, if this has been happening like the whole time. Yeah, and I think it, it's it's good to show cracks. It's good to show cracks in the armor yeah. early on, like uh, last week's uh, Lady Macbeth did. Yes, and there's the couple where we've like almost seen it happening. Yeah, and I was a bit more like, okay, but this one she was so strong throughout. Yeah, I was like really confused. Also, we should mention this is the first. Um, Bame character we've had for like this whole yeah series so far. So we've got a black Lady Macbeth, and she is awesome. Yeah, she's really cool. She's one of the best uh, Lady Macbeths, but it's a difficult role. It's a really difficult one to do convincingly. And I I like that her angle on it was strong, uh, incredible voice and presence that she had. Weirdest sister, and these oh. might be the weirdest sisters. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> Okay, first of all, there was like 20 of them. <laughs> yes, there was a lot of witches. All young women with slightly haggard looking faces, like missing teeth and beards and such. All painted in entirely pitch black ashen body paint. Yeah. So they appeared mm-hmm. grey or black. Yes, and with only like a kind of 
bottom half covering with like uh a thong i guess you might call it it's like um what do you call it like oh just like a cloth wrapped around yeah the naughty bits like a kind of eve from the garden of eden yeah kind of thing but yeah boobs out and sort of very unkempt bushy hair yeah like they need some serious hair care (laughs) products yeah they're they're here they sing as a chorus um you don't get much of a sense of like individual witches they kind of move as one almost like they're the manifestation of Macbeth's yeah ambition thoughts or something they're they're there's a lot of talk of like heaven and hell in this Macbeth yes so it's almost like they're like kind of hellish demon style thing so yeah really (laughs) creepy and their singing adds to the creepiness it really does and it adds a sense of scale to them you know it's like they're these sort of hell minions. Like, I really liked it, actually. These might be my favourite witches. I mean, you know, obviously we're going to have to distinguish them a bit from, like, traditional witches. You know, the traditional three witches. But I really liked them. They, they were creepy. And there's lots of times when the movie just dedicates time to them doing stuff. Doing witchy yeah, they're stuff. Just, yeah, they're just there, like, creeping around. Yeah. Like, crawling out, coming out of the ground. They, the way yeah. that they come out originally. Yeah. Oh, crap, I meant to mention earlier... One thing that they really managed to do well, and this is the first time, is that they make a physical dagger effective. Oh my god, I thought it was silly. <laughs> oh, did you? Oh my god. Because I think for me, the dagger is not floating in the air, pointing the way towards Duncan's chamber. No, that's silly. It comes out of the ground, which has turned into like this weird sand kind of substance. And a hand is like gripping the dagger as it holds it up to Macbeth. Yeah, I think it's one of the witch's hands. I think they're giving yeah. the witch's agency there. Yeah, she's like giving the dagger to Macbeth. And that, I liked it. I liked it a lot. It was like, I don't know, Excalibur or something getting handed up, but in a dark, horrible way. I could see how that that would be effective, but I don't know. I just, <laughs> maybe just me, I just said it as me. I was like, Fair oh, enough. it's a dagger. But, um, <laughs> yeah, no. They, I liked the way that they, the witches had more agency. In yeah, this. yeah. In fact, they come back. Yeah. At the end, near the end, don't they? And they, they do. like, there's one of the witches who's like, um, kind of caressing Macbeth's dead body. That was the creepiest part. I mean, the extra, yeah. the bits of business we see the witches do is at the very beginning. They're on the battlefield, sort of roaming around, just sort of picking at things and playing with each other, like sort of ape-style characters. Yeah. They move around on all fours, incidentally. They never stand upright, which adds to the sort of creep factor of them. Near the end, they show back up in order to seemingly pick at the remains of the banquet scene. Because everything seems to have been abandoned and left after Macbeth's outburst, and they just sort of come in and sort of pick at it and sort of eat stuff. Yeah. And then finally, when Macbeth has been mortally wounded, he stumbles into his own catacombs, into the dungeon, ends up dying against a gate... And the final image of the well, no, one of the final images of the film is one of the witches comes back and is like playing with the corpse. Yeah, and that was really creepy. It was just it like was really weird. It's almost like she's being like, "Yeah, this is what we like. What has happened the whole time?" Yeah, it's just like, or they, or they just don't care, and it's just they're just here like playing with the body or, of the main player of the thing. Yeah, or they're dragging him to hell maybe i wondered if it was hell i had to go back and watch to see that it is actually him of his seemingly of his own volition wandering downwards but the whole thing looks like hell so it could have easily been (laughs) a metaphor for him like being of the witches now yeah maybe he'll be a ghost for someone else now fleance or something oh no oh god oh oh, he's just gonna haunt Macbeth. it's like can i go uh, freak Macduff out at a dinner like Macbeth banquet did to me and it's like no you gotta come to hell with us 
He needs not our mistrust. Now, this is interesting. The murder scene of Banquo involves a lot of murderers. Yeah. Way more than like three. Maybe six or seven murderers. There's a lot of murderers. And yeah. it's like a little murdering gang. And at the point where who who sent you? Um, oh, it was Macbeth. That's like five guys who show up. Yeah, I was. So there's like a lead murderer. Yes, there is. Yeah, so he does most of like the singing and the kind of and says the who sent you, and he turns up again at the end. Yeah. Oh, does he? When? Um. So he turns up for Macbeth being like, "Have you done it?" But then he turns up yeah. at the end when they're like, um, in the battle scene. And he yeah. basically like tries to tries to get away with being on the other side. Oh wow! I didn't notice that yeah. at all. Yeah, I was like, oh, it's the murderer. The only reason I noticed him is because he looks like Robert Pattinson. <laughs> so I was like, oh, it's Robert Pattinson again. But like, yeah, he like tries yeah. like kind of goes over to the other side. So wow. it's almost like him saying he never was like he's an opportunist. Know. Yeah, exactly. Good stuff. I didn't notice that because I was trying to uh, concentrate on the people who were the third murderers. There's a bald guy and a guy with a thick beard, but I don't think they show up again. And there's no uh, Seton character in this. Macbeth spends most of the final act just completely on his own. And if he reports, it's usually to Lady Macbeth. Yes. Yeah, which again is a good example of them reducing the number of characters, but giving the characters more to do. Oh yeah, and the other weird thing about that scene is when they happen upon Banquo, he seems to be overseeing the hanging of various men in the woods. Yes, I was like, because like I feel like Emma Beth, seeing as we've seen quite a lot of them, we see quite a lot of hanging, don't we? We do. Um, but yeah, Banquo doesn't seem to be that kind of guy. It's odd. Maybe he just happened upon the scene, but he seems to be wandering around as if he's been there a while, talking about how much he hates his work, and I'm. I wonder if yeah. Macbeth sent him off to do the, some of this stuff. Yeah, because usually he's just going hunting with, with Fleon. Yeah, yes. Which exactly. is more believable for the character of Banquo, I think. Mm. Well, just to be like the, the cool dad kind of guy. I'd like to see it sort of, yeah, explored a bit more, this idea of... Because also, I wondered this time if Banquo had suspicions from the very beginning, because he says something to the effect of uh, whilst he's sort of looking at Macbeth, like, what are you prepared to do to make this prophecy come true? Uh, in his, his own soliloquy. Made me wonder, did yeah. he immediately start to suspect that Macbeth might kill Duncan, and choose not to intercede? Because he does try to talk about it in the play. Yeah, he does. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, yeah maybe. Because it's clear what he represents to Macbeth. It's the idea of paying, you know, a bigger and bigger price in order to remain king. And this time... You know, he's going to try and have his best friend killed. It was, it was, um, Throne of Blood, wasn't it? The only one we've seen where he's like, you know what? I don't have any kids. I'm king. It's great. I'm just going to be king. And then when I die, his kids can be king. Therefore, Yeah, I was thinking yeah. about Throne of Blood, actually. When, yeah. Yeah, in the way that he's it's the only one where Beth has been like, you know what? Your kids can be king. <laughs> and then as Lady he Macbeth. says in Throne of Blood, yeah. he is his best friend. His best friend his is the thing. very best friend. It's his bestie. And then, unfortunately, as so often happens with best friends, is some lady gets pregnant, and now everything's ruined. Um, okay, so let's summarise on, first of all, Verdi's Macbeth, and then Diana's um, film of Verdi's opera. So how did you find Verdi's adaptation of Macbeth into an opera? Because this is essentially it. 
Yeah, I mean, um, I thought that it was it was good. Mm. The music was fantastic. Yeah. The chorus bits where there's a lot of people singing yeah. were amazing. Yeah, like just after the murder and such. Like after, um, I don't know the witches and everything. Oh, the witches! I thought yeah, it was, yeah. I thought it was a good adaptation of it. However, I'm not sure that that it needed to be an opera. Oh, do you know what I mean? Like, I don't hmm. think that all Shakespeare's should be turned into an opera because there's been so many that are like been turned into operas. Well, I think Macbeth um, is therefore uniquely suited because so many of the other plays are so much longer and more complicated that yeah. it's tricky to sort of get you know a succinct story out of there. Yeah, because there's been a couple of hmm. Romeo and Juliet. Yes. Midsummer Night's Dream, yeah. Right. Um, uh, and I, I think that, yeah, as as an opera, it was good. And mm. I enjoyed it. So I, I had a good time watching. Yeah, absolutely. I thought it was a really good adaptation of that story. And the music is incredible. Yeah, I really enjoyed this version of it. Now, how about Cloud to Anna's film of Verdi's opera? How would we review that? Yeah, it's like a horror version of the opera. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Yeah, he, he made like a horror film. He really got into I the like darkness. I like horror films and I like <laughs> operas, so <Yeah. laughs> hey ho. I, I found a couple of bits silly, but only because I know Macbeth so well that I was finding it silly because of the language. But I think someone watching it that doesn't know Macbeth as well as I do would have found it 100% enjoyable. So yeah. yeah, I really liked it. I don't think it's like my favourite adaptation of Macbeth. Sure. But. Uh, yeah, I really had a good time watching it. Yeah, but it's definitely given me a couple of my favourite, like, things, yes. you know, going through, and I, I think that's going to show out when yes, we go... Yes, a very good Banquo, his yeah. voice... Oh, yeah, Hunky Banquo. We didn't talk about that. We didn't talk about how Hunky Banquo and Macduff are. They're both bays. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I was like, hey, Banquo, and then Macduff turned up, and I was like, step aside, Banquo. <laughs> Macduff is the, here. The real king is here. I already have like a little bit of a crush on the fictional character of Macduff anyway. <laughs> His whole Avengy angle. You know, widower, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I think that's it. It was a really good film. I really enjoyed watching it, and I'd recommend it yes. to opera fans and to Shakespeare fans. Yes, I, I also agree, and yeah. I think that... Um, yeah, I think there's when we come to do our best of, I think there are yeah. going to be some contenders. Yeah, definitely. Cool. Okay, well, A Charmed Life, what is Katie's Shakespeare fact? Okay, so my Shakespeare fact today is that there are more than 200 operas based on Shakespeare plays. Holy shit. Have been written since 1945. What? So not even before that. <laughs> so this isn't even one of them? <laughs> no. There have been that's, that many operas written since 1945 in general? That's just insane. I don't know whether that's like operas that have been performed, but yeah. <laughs> Some of them are just like a guy's opera project that he never got realised. I'm actually trying to put the money together for an opera. Yeah, so it says that that's many been written, but, but very few of them have actually remained like in repertoire. I see, right. So like, yeah, but that's still a lot of people writing operas. About Was any of them a hip opera? Hip-hop, oh, like in the closet. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I can, we can only hope so. Oh, God. Okay. Uh, plugs. Where can people find out about Katie? Uh, they can find out about me 
uh, at Katie Writes About on Twitter or Instagram. And my blog is katiewritesabout.com and I write about reviews and stuff and other things. Um, I also have another podcast, Have You Ever Heard Of?, which is a history podcast where we talk about people you may or may not have heard of. Might have heard of. Uh, what about you, Paul? People can find out all about me and my sort of deeds by staying right here on Screen Mayhem and looking for my reviews or by going over excuse me or by going over to OGT Pod where the other podcast is and lives where me and Paul Goodman watch terrible films in an effort to find nice things to say about them because if you can't say something nice then you shouldn't have become a film critic as my mum used to <laughs> <laughs> she doesn't say that anymore she doesn't say that anymore she retired it when I became a film critic and she was like oh, okay you got the point next time on this podcast we are sticking to different and once you've got your head around that particular oxymoron you can come back and enjoy us watching Men of Respect, the second attempt to stage Macbeth as an American mafia movie. I'm so excited. Yay. Oh, God. Okay, until then, away and mock the time where fairest show, false face must hide what the half doth know. Bye. Bye. Bye.